Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Before I complete this five-part series on Time Life's Giants of Jazz, featuring some of the earliest jazz masters, I want to share a new discovery that I've made. As you know, for each episode of this series, I've added a Canadian jazz artist. And it's been a bit of a strain to find earlier Canadian jazz people who, as well as being excellent, also have recordings. I've used Guy Lombardo, Mark Kenny, and a couple who are really too modern to have met the criteria, Oscar Peterson and Gil Evans. But this week, I discovered a Canadian jazz artist who was around in the early 20th century and was involved in some recordings. His name is William Eckstein, a ragtime and jazz pianist composer who was one of the first Canadians to play live on radio. That was in Montreal in 1919, as well as to make records in the burgeoning Canadian record industry. Here's a record that he made in 1919 of his own composition, Burma Moon. I'll play part of it, then follow it with a hot piano solo from 1930, where he plays I'm in the Market for You, William Eckstein. Thank you. 
So William Eckstein, also known as Willie Eckstein and even Billy Eckstein, became very well known for his interpretation of film scores. Uh, He would write these scores for these uh, silent movies and play them in the movie theaters, and he attracted the attention of uh, the likes of Sergei Rachmaninoff, the famous composer, who listened to what he was doing and said, I can't believe it. So, you know, such a sound coming from such a little guy. I'm going to demonstrate his versatility now uh, and how his music has been adapted by modern Canadian artists. Here's something that he wrote in 1923 called A Musical Massacre. It's a combination of Chopin and William Eckstein, here played by Montreal pianist Mimi Blais. A Musical Massacre, composed by Willie Eckstein in 1923 and played here by Mimi Blay. All right, let's move on to some ragtime and stride pianists from the Giants of Jazz series. James B. Johnson. He wasn't really ragtime, but stride, where in the oom-pa of the left hand, the oom is a full two octaves or more below middle C, and the pa is around the middle C. And the feel is kind of a soft shoe 12-8 with an accented 4-beat 
rather than the two beat you get in ragtime or polka, and the right hand provides the rhythmic swing. Bass players often find it a challenge to accompany stride players, but they do it by playing a walking bass. You'll hear it here in this recording. It's the Rod Kless Orchestra from 1944 with Pops Foster on bass, Rod Kless clarinet, Sterling Bowes trumpet, and the great pianist James P. Johnson. The tune is called I Know That You Know. for James B. Johnson's most famous student, volume 15 in the series, That's Waller, who lived from 1904, died from influenza the fall of 1943. He was a composer, pianist, organist, and all-round entertainer. Melody and rhythm and telling the story is what Waller was all about. Here's one of his most famous compositions from 1934 with Bill Coleman on trumpet, Gene Cedric clarinet and tenor sax, Al Casey guitar. 
Billy Taylor on bass and Harry Dial drums. Uh, of course, Fats Waller himself on piano and vocals. Honeysuckle Rose. Okay, we still have a few volumes of the Giants of Jazz series to cover. We haven't yet talked about Volume 13, Lester Young, or Volume 14, Red Norvo, and I will. There's also Henry Red Allen, Volume 16, and clarinetist Pee Wee Russell, Volume 17. Before I do any of those, I want to slip to Volume 19 and play music by somebody I've most been looking forward to, the great Duke Ellington alto saxophonist Johnny Hodges. He spent 35 years with the Ellington Band. He was nicknamed Rabbit. Now, the Ellington Band member says that that was because of the very strange way that he would eat his lettuce sandwiches. But uh, Hodges said that it was due to his speed in outrunning the truant officer when he played hooky from school. He said he'd have become a mastermind crook if he hadn't been taken over by music. In fact, he cajoled his mother into buying him his first instrument, a soprano saxophone, by threatening to get one the way the bad fellers did, by stealing it. The Rabbit's Jump is a tune that Hodges wrote 
that was arranged by Billy Strayhorn, who is on piano here. It was when Hodges made a jump to fronting his own orchestra for a while in 1939 with Cootie Williams on trumpet, Lawrence Brown trombone, Harry Carney baritone sax, Billy Taylor on bass, and Sonny Greer drums. You'll hear a lot of Hodges on the loose with his alto sax, sometimes unexpectedly stretching out notes. The rabbits jump. that Hodge's first instrument was the soprano sax, an instrument that's very hard to keep in tune. Now, the alto sax isn't always that easy either, but Hodge's was a master at playing in tune at the beginning of rehearsals and gigs. Rather than spending lots of time tuning up like most sax players do, he would pick up his horn and hit three notes, bip, bip, bop, and that was it. Then he'd put his horn down and he was in tune. The soprano sax probably wasn't so easy. Maybe that's why he refused to play it after 1946. Here he is with some great soprano sax work from 1932 with this 32-bar solo that comes in right after Lawrence Brown's trombone solo. Duke Ellington and his famous orchestra, the Sheik of Araby. (laughs) 
All right, I do want to play another Johnny Hodges tune, uh, one from his later years. This one was recorded December 1966, and it was written by Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn. And it was a vehicle for Johnny Hodges at his most soulful and emotional. Here is Isfahan, that's spelled I-S-F-A-H-A-N, from Ellington's Far East Suite. It's a mood piece that Ellington described as portraying a Persian city of poetic beauty where they give you poems instead of flowers.
You hear that tune? That's the theme song for Discovering Jazz, played by the man featured in Volume 13 of the Giants of Jazz series, put out by Time Life, tenor saxophonist Lester Young. That's called Ad Lib Blues, and I can't really play it on this program because that particular tune wasn't in the three-record Lester Young set from Time Life, but this one is... Lester Leaves In by Count Basie's Kansas City 7 from 1939, featuring tenor saxophonist Lester Young. Despite being a legend and the best friend and accompanist for Billie Holiday, this shy and quiet man had such low self-esteem and 
despair that he had to drown himself with alcohol, eventually dying in 1958 at the young age of 49, totally disillusioned with the course that his career had taken. There were a few factors. One big one is that he never made much money, and while his style was very much imitated by jazz greats such as Stan Getz, those imitators were virtually all white, and they made so much more money off that style than he did. And his first big break turned out to be a bust, when he had to replace Coleman Hawkins in Fletcher Henderson's band, and the public realized that he was nothing like Hawkins, and Henderson's other reed men whispered and made faces when Young soloed. Another piece of information was from a psychiatrist who treated Young before he died, who revealed that a sermon he once heard when he was young convinced him that God would punish him because he was black. Pianist John Lewis remembered Young as being an extremely gentle, kind, considerate person, always concerned about the underdog. Here he is, backing up Billie Holiday, in the original take of All of Me, the one that was discarded because it was too long for a side of a 78 RPM record. This gives you a pretty great idea as to what an amazing and relaxed backup he provided Billy, plus the beauty and the conciseness of his solos. Thank you. 
Volume 16 is Henry Red Allen, a trumpeter known for his strong lip and flexibility, self-assurance, uncanny rhythmic sureness that allowed him to play long legato lines across or against the beat, disregarding bar lines when it suited him. He had a keen harmonic sense that would allow him to play what sounded like wrong notes, notes that now are hailed as brilliant discoveries when more modern players play them. It's believed that Miles Davis was very much influenced by Red Allen as he would often come around during recording sessions where Red Allen was playing. Red Allen died of cancer in 1967, but was playing steadily up until his illness. His style changed over the years as he kept developing, exploring more of the trumpet's bottom register. You can hear it here. Henry Red Allen's All-Stars with I Cover the Waterfront.
1957, Henry Red Allen, I Cover the Waterfront. Next, clarinetist Pee Wee Russell, known for his great variety of tonal colors in his playing and sudden changes of mood. Listeners had to work hard to catch all the nuances, very complex improvisations. And in the last few years of his life, he also became an abstract painter. He died in 1967, shortly after his beloved wife Mary died of cancer. Here's one from 1938 with pianist James P. Johnson, who I played and talked about earlier, plus Zati Singleton on drums. I found a new baby. The amazing clarinet of Pee Wee Russell. Just one more record set left from the Time Life Giants of Jazz series. Then I'll have talked about all of them in in this five-part series. These were collections that were put together in the late 70s to early 80s and delivered to my door when I was living in the Yukon. And here, the last truly isn't the least. I really love this last set. It's a vibes and xylophone player. Red Norvo, who I grew to love through his trio in the early 50s with the amazing guitarist Tal Farlow and Charles Mingus on bass. Here they are with I'll Remember April. Thank you. 
But Red Norvo's real love wasn't the metal vibraphone. It was the wooden xylophone. Here he is, playing with the Teddy Wilson Quartet from 1937 with Harry James on trumpet, John Simmons bass, and Teddy Wilson piano. And Red Norvo on xylophone. Fats Waller's Ain't Misbehavin'. I'm going to squeeze in a Teddy Wilson piano solo as we speak because I gave Teddy Wilson short shrift on my last show. This is his rendition of Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. He's playing it in D-flat right now, but the second time through, he's going to switch to the key of E. A brilliant maneuver, considering that the bridge to the song already switches from a D-flat to an A. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz, this episode part of a series on early jazz giants as decided by Time Life's Giants of Jazz series. My name's Larry Sademan saying bye for now. Thank you to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this show. Tune in next week and listen for that key change. It's coming in a few moments. (laughs) ¶¶